The only movie that I watch is Space Jam. Come on in, Jam, and welcome to the Slam. It's a Pam, and we're all eating clam. Come I, uh, on in, Tram, and do bidab and dam. I was a big fan of Space Jam as a kid. Watching it again, uh, we'll talk about it on the podcast, will we? Grab your Nike shoes and let's go get some McDonald's before we get some duct tape. I don't know any more brand names. Come on, Michael. It's game time. Lace up your Nikes, put on your Hanes, eat your Wheaties, and drink your Gatorade, and we'll pick up a Big Mac on the way. Yeah, you watched it more recently than I did. I am currently watching it. We are like 45 minutes into it. You just walked away from a movie? Yeah, well, just walked away from Space Jam. <laughs> I don't under I don't understand. I I do not understand. Oh, you don't understand. And welcome hey, to, the, to jam. the jam. I gotta get up. It's a Space Jam. All right. Welcome back to Guess the Flower, the only podcast that is comprised solely of guessing every state's state flower. Our contestant today is uh, John. Hi, my name is John. And today he's going to be guessing the state flower of Nevada. Oh, Nevada. Uh, Can you use it in a sentence? I'm sorry we're out of time. The state flower of Nevada is, of course... The Cactus. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's John. And together we're Henry and John coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of that there zeitgeist. And I have a little bit of a disclaimer. I stole that bit from another podcast. I'm evil. How could you? But it's a, it's a podcast that we love, John. It's the Glass Cannon Podcast. And so I feel like we're good. Yeah, I wish I could get uh, paid to play Dungeons & Dragons. Right, me too. But they play Pathfinder. That's another wrong answer from John tonight. Now, I mean, I wish I could get paid to play an imaginary game of numbers about elves and shit. Instead, I, like everyone else in the corporate sector in America, get paid to play a made-up game of numbers, but with profit. <laughs> And right. projects? <laughs> Profit and projects. Yeah, I, I get paid to play a made-up game called Why Is My Boss Mad This Week? I had to put a little star on a table on a on a timeline today. And the reason was I had to I had to put a star to indicate we were sending a communication plan. I was like, but we're not. I I'm unaware of any communication plan. I'm like, yeah, but the star just needs to be there because it has to be. Uh, and if that isn't like a add your constitution modifier to get your armor class, I don't know what is. 
Right. You're just following the rules as written. They're not yeah. open to interpretation. Yeah. No, you're just you're just rolling stats, baby. And tonight our our drunken thoughts, I say drunken thoughts, our buzz thoughts are brought to you by Pecan Porter 512 Pecan Porter. Uh, it's a robust porter brewed with organic Texas pecans. I don't know if I've ever read that out loud before. Uh, so I think you've read it out loud maybe every time we've done this. I have a another local favorite, a Circle Brewing Company. Oh, they're out of Austin. Another of Blanco or something. Oh, I'm thinking of Real Ale. Uh, this is a Circle Brewing Company, Fanny Pack Kolsch. Uh, it's got a significantly longer thing on it. Uh, so I'll just read... <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it does just say Fanny Pack Kolsch Rad Refreshing Melon. Rad Refreshing Melon. That was my nickname in rehab. <laughs> you were Rad Refreshing Melon. You came by on your skateboard and they're like, oh man, it's Rad Refreshing Melon. And I was like, don't do drugs, folks. Wubba duh. <laughs> and then uh, you. Uh, had to go into your other therapy to get uh, treatment for your drug addiction. Right, yeah. It was it was shortly thereafter, my stint at the rehab facility, as a mascot for not doing drugs, uh, I, it was found that I was doing just all of the drugs, and so I had to get therapy for my drug usage. Yeah, that's how you get rid of drugs. drug addiction is therapy. Uh, yeah. I would be interested for the teens, uh, the innumerable... Uh, inexplicable number of teens that listen to this program to write in are anti-drug mascots still a thing i don't really think that they are <laughs> we only had mcscruff the mcgruff the crime hound or no the dare lion the, the dare lion there was a yeah. there was a rat i think there was like an anti-drug rat there was mcgruff the the crime, crime sniffing the crime sniffing dog or something yeah he, the crime hound Crime hound. He would sniff out crime. I feel like there was like a rat. You know what's I'm really literally okay. googling anti-drug rat. Yeah, keep doing that. I'll, I'll stall. But it, it's always weird because like Daniel the Dare Lion or whatever his name was. Like growing up, I was introduced to McGruff the, the crime hound first. I, I don't know what that says about where I grew up, but apparently crime was a bigger. Uh, threat to elementary school kids than drugs, and so I, like I, I guess I have an affinity for the crime hound more than so uh, than the the dare line because in my head, if the two were ever to fight, my money is on the crime hound, not the the dare lion. Yeah, I mean McGruff uses uh, perfectly legal drugs, but he's 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 drugged up. Well, it's just like McGruff has seen some shit. Like, he wears a trench coat and, like, a hat. Like, he's out there on the streets, like, preventing crime. And then you've got, like, this life coach lion named Daniel coming in. He's like, hey, everybody, uh, don't do drugs. And McGruff is, like, shaking. And he's like, I'm going to try to track down the the murderers who, who killed my wife. Yeah, they murdered McGruff's entire family. Yeah, in front of him. And they were like, can't smell this, can ya? The only way you'll stop us, McGruff, is if you stop all crime. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, that's a procedural crime drama that I would actually watch. Now, I... uh, 
let's not get too far into the weeds of, of I guess, the it's too late. Between... I'm already drafting a letter to Quibi. Uh, man, die hard. Uh, but let's not get too into the weeds of what is truly the difference between being anti-crime and anti-drug and who between Daniel, the anti-drug lion and McGruff is more of a tool of capital in the state. Uh, was there an anti-drug rat? So apparently there was a, a rat that was the resist all tobacco rat. Oh, specifically tobacco. Specifically tobacco. There used to be a lot of cartoon characters who told you to do or not to do certain things. Uh, Michael Jordan brought Bugs Bunny back from the grave to get you to buy Nikes, and yet there's just some rat telling you not to smoke. Those those anti-drug, I guess, PSAs were always so weird because it was like just people hiding around corners like going, hey, hey, kid. You want to do some crack? And like, I grew up, you know, in Louisiana and nowhere was there like people around corners whispering at kids to try hardcore drugs. Instead, there were people around corners lying on the sidewalk because they had just done a ton of drugs. Yeah, I, I think that they're... I, it's not useful. I don't think that anti-drug propaganda has ever been helpful. Uh, but I, I do think that it was harmful for me as a child because I assumed that when I grew up that people would just offer me weed and pills and that I would have to constantly say, no thanks, I'm too cool for that uh, because right. you had to know a, a series of phrases to not get yourself killed. However, as I grew into an adult and I wanted weed and pills, I was very upset that those people did not <laughs> exist. Did you ever learn? Oh, oh, I'm I'm forgetting you were homeschooled, so you might not have learned. I might be the first one to introduce you to this song. Uh, what song? The song goes like this, John, and let me clear my throat. <clears throat> users are losers, and losers are users. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. That's the lyrics. Now I'm gonna sing it. Users are losers, and losers are users. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Is that it? There might have been a second verse, but my attention span had already been spent on the fact that they wanted me to memorize this song. So one thing, I never was made... I was never made aware of that song. Uh, Number one, it slaps. Um, <laughs> number one uh blast from the pl- past 2020 banger the users are losers song um however did you know that mcgruff the crime dog did a whole album are you kidding me right now i am not kidding you please go on uh i don't remember much but i remember there was a song about cocaine and if we are being generous in our editing, maybe a little bit of it could go in here while I play some of it for you. Um, that sounds pretty good. Let's. There we go. Let me find this McGruff cocaine song. Uh, it rules, by the way. It's a very good song. Just looked up cocaine. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. Oh, no, it's... Okay, so there is a crack. McGruff here. I want to 
There was more to the song. Oh, that was your song. Yeah, that was that, was, and apparently McGruff sings it, so it it's also relevant. Perfect. I'm I'm telling you, this dog in this trench coat, he's seen some shit. Like he is, every time he went to talk to kids to tell them don't use drugs, he like just walked away from a murder. I I'm trying to pull it up. Well, I'm gonna send it to you, and then you'll play it. Okay. If you if you've got Facebook up, I do, of course. But he, the song I was thinking about, the rule, oh, he has a song about inhaling. Using crack and cocaine to get high, that's what you say you love. But it's really insane, you could die, what are you thinking of? Cause nobody's needing that crack and cocaine There's terrible trouble behind it And sooner or later you're burning your brain Making a mess of your mind It kind of slaps All the songs are actually really good Wait, look up the marijuana one It's, It's genuinely kind of a banger Keep how do I spell McGruss? How do you spell Mara? M A R I J U A N A. Wanna McGruff. Of the song rules. It's it's like it's out of a Rocky movie. Right? I think 2020 just got a new (laughs) hit on its hands. The McGruff anti-drug album that's called Smart Kids. Yeah, both of those songs genuinely pretty good. And like so much passion put into it. Yeah, I don't want to do drugs now. Uh, I like that, you know, crack and cocaine will, will ruin your mind, but... Marijuana is just don't use it. Don't, don't use not it. Even, it's like not even your once. head on a wall. Yeah. Don't use it. You'll throw away your life. Don't use it. It's like, okay, what does it do? It's like crack and cocaine is really bad. Marijuana? Uh-uh. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's the that's the crazy thing about a lot of the anti-drug propaganda is they were like, yeah, heroin, all that. It's really bad. But marijuana? No way. Don't even think about it. It they, will kill you. <laughs> they so believed that marijuana was the, the gateway drug. They put all of their effort on that. Yeah, they're like, just don't. Never. This is your brain on drugs, baby. Yeah, yeah. Let's crack those eggs with that frying pan. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's McGruff's incredible, uh, the incredible musical stylings of McGruff. If you have some time, folks, just you know, in your afternoon or I don't know, early evening, do yourself a favor. Look up McGruff's anti-drug album and uh, get ready to boop your head and bop your schmed away to yeah. some good music. <laughs> It is, it's the RTJ4 of anti-drug songs sung by a dog. I don't know what RGJ4 is. Uh, Run the Jewels 4, it's a popular album. Oh, okay. Gotcha, Run the Jewels, yeah. What were we talking about? John, we were about to share some good news with you to see what your reaction would be. Is it that I shouldn't do crack and cocaine? No, we're moving on from that into the kingdoms of the past, the reckoning that is to come. Oh, no. John, John, do you remember on this podcast, we talked in great length and great detail about a little game called Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. Oh, do I remember Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, the weirdly financed game from that baseball guy? Right, a baseball guy and the state of Rhode Island got together to create a studio called Studio 38, and they churned out what was supposed to be the first game and a series of games that would lead into a live-service, multi-massive multiplayer online RPG that never got to be. Kingdoms of Amalur, colon Reckoning, was a sight to behold in 2012 or whenever it came out. Yeah, it was a foolproof business plan of creating a, a series of pretty good uh, single-player RPGs set in an MMORPG that would eventually culminate in an MMORPG that presumably would not be as engaging as the single-player games they made for some reason. Right. And to recap for our, our dear fans who might not remember this little piece of trivia... The game flopped, failed completely, the studio went bankrupt, the state of Rhode Island assumed the IP and property of Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, and they were never heard from again. Yeah, I mean, if you're a video game IP that's absorbed by the state, how can you come back from that? Until today, John, until this very day in 2020, when it was announced that Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning is going to happen. A complete re-reckoning, my friend. It is a remake, a complete remake of the original game, and it is going to launch on September 8th, 2020, publisher THQ Nordic announced. It is up for pre-order right now. I have I am genuinely so excited. 
I, I thought you were going to tell me that like the rights had been purchased and I could make this is so this is a remake, not a remastering. This is a remake of Beautiful Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. I might have misspoken because the article does describe it as a remaster. That's fine. That is absolutely fine. I gotta say, Re-Reckoning is on the level of uh, Red Faction Guerrilla Remars Turd in terms of (laughs) phenomenal remastering names. But there's going to be more, John, because not only did they announce Kingdoms of Amalur re-reckoning, a remaster coming out this very year, this September, September 8th of 2020, but they also announced an expansion for the game that's going to be coming out later. John, the game is going to be expanded upon with new content for the first time in eight years. So they're... Hold on. (laughs) They're not only remastering Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, they're also releasing an expansion pack? Re-Reckoning will also include a brand new DLC expansion called Fate Sworn, which will release sometime in 2021. Fate Sworn will be a part of the Fate Edition, which bundles the base game and expansion for 55 US dollars. That's a that's a bargain. I'm so excited. The base game by itself will be selling for 40 US dollars. This is the time. This is this is when it all starts coming together, John. Kingdoms of Amalur is getting its time in the sun once again. The composer Grant Kirikagope and the writer who was some fantasy guy who I can't remember are going to get a new chance to have their work enjoyed by millions. Am I about to purchase a remaster of Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning? It was Salvatore. I just remember. Yeah, R.A. Salvatore. R.A. Salvatore was the, the guy who wrote the story. I think 100% you're about to embark on a journey back to those Kingdoms of Amalur and enjoy all those worlds again. Hopefully they solved the one problem that I had with the game, which was that I wasn't even a third of the way through of... I wasn't a third of the way through the game, and I, I had already hit max level. Yeah, it was very easy uh, to get over-leveled in that game if you did anything. I just did every quest because I thought that's how you were supposed to play the game. And once I realized that the level cap was so low and that there were no expansions coming out, I quickly dropped it and moved on with my life. I feel like Kingdoms of Amalur belongs to a very specific kind of class of video game that was so ambitious and went absolutely nowhere that I can't help but really be on board with video games like that. I like so th- there's always a uh, this sentiment in movies, right? Where it's like don't remake the movies that were really good, remake a movie that was bad that didn't get a chance to be good. And I feel like with Kingdoms of Amalur Remaster or Re-Reckoning, we're seeing that in action where they're taking a game that didn't do as well as they wanted it to, and they're remastering it and even expanding upon it, and now maybe it'll get a, a chance to be good. 
I want it to get the chances that games of its ilk, that's right, I mean like Advent Rising, I mean like Too Human, the games that were uh, ahead of their time, cost a million dollars, and then fucking flopped. I'm so genuinely interested in this. <sighs> so all I gotta say is, you know, move over, Ghost of uh, Tush... I can't say the name. Oh, Tsushima. Move over, Ghost of Tsushima. Your time in the, the limelight is over. It's now time for Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning to, to enter center stage and blow The Last of Us 2 and uh, an Xbox game out of the water. This is the game of the year 2020. I'm, I'm going to get to clear it now before seeing any footage of gameplay, before playing the game, and before any reviews come out. Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning is the game of the year 2020. Game of the year 2020. It's a late entrant. Uh, well, games of the year typically are. They come out around the end of the year. Uh, right. But yeah, whatever the hell else is coming out, step aside. Sorry, Deadly Premonition 2. Sorry, God of War, which came out maybe two years ago. Uh, I think Sorry. maybe three years ago. Sorry, Spider-Man, which uh, maybe five years ago. I don't know. Yeah, sorry, Spider-Man Miles Morales, which isn't even out. Right. Sorry, PlayStation 5. Your time is over. It is time of Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning coming out September 8th on... And get this, John. Coming out on pretty much every platform you can think of. PC, Xbox, PlayStation 4... It's coming out on just every every little thing you can think of. Um, I'm trying to check to see if it's coming out on Switch. Um, no, it is not coming out on the Switch. Switch can't handle it. It's too powerful for the Switch. Wow, maybe they'll release the original on Switch. Uh, it says here that uh, THQ Nordic hates Nintendo. No, it doesn't say that. You know, looking back through screenshots, art directions in Kingdoms of Amalur was really good, too. The thing is, the game was fun. Like, it, it was the battle really fun. system, Yeah, the battle system was hugely dynamic. Uh, the story was going places, but then, like, I got sidetracked in, like, this whole elf city for a really long time. And, like, the, the, really, the thing that really got me was that the progression system was just busted because I'd already, like hit max level, and where was I supposed to go from there? And it was cool because the the way the game worked was you could always, like, change. Like, if you got interested in another thing, you could always level into it. Yeah, uh, yeah, you could always, like, respec on the fly if you wanted. And and they, they built that into the story, too, which was really cool. I'm sure that I could recommend that... Uh, I <laughs> I'm looking at the box art for it, and I thought since they decided to be cute and call it the re-reckoning that they would maybe make that, I don't know, smaller, but no, no this it kingdoms is. of Amal are very small, but re-reckoning extremely huge font. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's what I would describe as bumblefuck huge. They, they are leaning wholeheartedly into it and it's being done by THQ Nordic who are, they're really confident uh, publishers. They've published a lot of good titles like the Darksiders series, and um, I think they had a hand in uh, Remnant from the Ashes, but I think that was developed by Gunfire Games, but maybe they published it. Um, but yeah, uh, 
they they aren't bad people. They, I think they're they're competent enough to deliver a fun experience, and I'm sure they've studied extensively why the first game failed. Yeah, I the I guess there's significantly smaller risk in doing a remaster because they're not on the hook for the initial like hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, probably not that much that they spent on the original uh, that they fleeced the the great state of Rhode Island for. I know that there are better things I could recommend our listeners purchase, but none come to mind. And I would say <laughs> to to make this bit complete, uh, please join us in purchasing Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning when it releases right. on September 8th. This is the first official zero credits endorsement of a product. Never before have we thrown our weight behind something quite as hard as this. We are going to stand Kingdoms of Armalur Reckoning, Re-Reckoning. Uh, our Twitter account is now a Kingdoms of Armor Re-Reckoning. <laughs> I can't say the name. <laughs> our Twitter account is now a Kingdoms of Armalur Re-Reckoning stand ac- account. And that is the only content you can expect from us here on out. It is also unfortunate because now every episode of Zero Credits does have a little thing in the current that says includes paid promotion. Yes, but uh, we are only paid in fun video game time in the game space, if you will, the world of Kingdoms of Armor Re-Reckoning. Yes, every time uh, we make an episode, we get paid 500 uh, Kingdom Kingdoms of Amalur bucks. Yeah, those sweet, sweet Amalalers. Now, can we uh, free associate for a second and project out to the future? Do we think that, hear me out, Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning comes out finally. This game that came out before its time finds its audience THQ Nordic takes this to the finish line and actually ends up making the Kingdoms of Amalur MMORPG, and it is brought to fruition. I think that if there is any chance of Kingdoms of Amalur MMORPG coming out anytime soon, this is its only shot. I will say it appears as though people are confused as to whether it is an MMORPG or not. And let me tell you, you're not alone. It, it, it is not, right? It can't be, right? No, it, it is not an MMORPG, but it appears as though some some uh, some wet-behind-the-ears journalists who were oh, forged no. in the fires of Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning think that it's an MMORPG. It's going to happen again. It's, oh no, it's the prophecy going, is happening again. It's, it's going to happen again. That's what I'm going to say it now. People, It's going to release. People are going to think it's an MMORPG. It's not going to be. And then people are going to get, you know, dis- disparaged. They're going to review bomb it. It's going to fail. And uh, THQ Nordic is going to be like, well, whoopsie doopsie. Yeah, I mean, their uh, their investment's probably pretty minimal. Now, for what it's worth, let's see. Hold on. Oh, my God. I 
Oh no. What? I uh forgot that all the character art was done by Todd McFarlane. You know, the Spawn guy. Yeah, Sp- uh, unfortunately Spawn guy is uh heavily in this. I really had a very cogent point, and it left my mind the second I read the name Todd McFarlane. <laughs> oh no, he spawned the bane of your thought. Oh no. Well, this is... What, wow, it really gonna... killed me. Anyway, say something else about Kingdoms of Amalur. I look forward to it coming out, and uh, I recommend. Look, if you've got like some free time in like the uh, the afternoon or the early evening, uh, check out Kingdoms of Armor Re Reckoning, and uh, yeah, yeah, please check it out. Please uh, understand that now you no longer have to worry about supporting uh, Kurt Schilling's uh, ransacking of the Rhode Island government. I think they sued him to the tune of $75 million. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so hopefully they got their money back. Who's to say? I don't think Rhode Island ever went back to develop any more video games, but uh, I don't know. I don't, maybe, I, maybe in the future we'll see a Mr. Rhode Island video game. Oh, you haven't heard about the new um, MOBA they're making? Oh, Heroes of the Rhode Island <laughs> No, it's um uh uh League of Clam Chowder. Uh-huh. Defense of the Rhode Island. There you go. I don't know anything about Rhode Island. I uh they're up there. They're small. They're the small one. This really gave me a hankering to play Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, but I guess I'm in luck. See, the, yeah, the thing is, I think I owned it on Xbox 360, a device I have not plugged in for several years, and so it probably doesn't work. Luckily, I just have to wait till September for the remaster. There you go, we'll play it on Steam. Well, we won't play it, because once again, we cannot stress enough that it is not an MMORPG. <laughs> we will both play it separately together. I feel like there was a period of time... Uh, where where video games were like kind of lost. When did Kingdoms of Amalur come out? Like 2012 or something? It was 2012, yeah. There was a period of time between like 2005 and 2012-ish where video games were kind of in this lost place, which is a very long period of time. But you had games like Advent Rising come out, which were written by Orson Scott Card, had like a fully orchestral soundtrack, and they pumped millions of dollars into it. And they literally had a contest that like if you were the first person to collect all of like a certain collectible in that video game, you won a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. There was a time when video games had a ton of money, but they really did not know what to do with it. Uh, And I feel like Kingdoms of Amalur was like the last of that great big bunch of video games hell you can see that people had too much money to know what to do with during that period of time because that's when the majority of your mmorpgs came out which are tremendously expensive time sinks that are that eventually peter away to nothing i wonder how many of those were even profitable yeah like the early 2000s even into like the mid or like the 2010s Western video game development. Western's us, right? Yes. 
Okay, Western video game development. It was kind of like finding its 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 steps. Like we had the money to fund the games, but like the artistic vision and the singular vision of of Eastern developers wasn't here. Like we didn't have a Miyamoto or whoever Sony has uh, to really drive like good experiences, which is what makes a video game. You know, it's not just throwing a bunch of money to make good graphics and flashy gameplay and stuff. You got to make good experiences that drives players to play and talk about your game. And then, and then the West, like at the time of like Xbox getting into the, into the space and all, it was just like, let's throw everything we have into video games. And that surely is going to equal success. And the only thing left of that era are like the fossils of the people who failed while the people who learned from them rose up like your naughty dogs and your sucker punches, these other developers who took their time and getting established and like bundled up with just one developer to, to work really well with the hardware and, and deliver just a cinematic video game experience. Unlike any other. I mean, there, there's something to be said for having a, a unique, unified, artistic vision. Because if you look at, like, the God of War games, the first two, I think, the lead designer was David Jaffe. Those games were kind of all over the place. Uh, but I think one of the designers was Corey Barlog, and eventually he took over for three, and then he took over for the reimagining of God of War. Uh, and those last two games, under his cohesive artistic vision, have been great. Uh, and then you have, like, uh, Sucker Punch, who does an incredible job with having a cohesive artistic vision. You just finished Horizon Zero Dawn, which is done by Ninja Gorilla Games. Theory? No? Gorilla Games. Gorilla Games. Oh, no. What did they make? They made Horizon Zero Dawn. Did they make anything else? Sly Cooper. I have no oh, idea. <laughs> uh, I thought they were the people who did like uh, Enslaved Journey to the West. Uh, that point no longer exists. But look at Sucker Punch. They have a cohesive artistic vision and everything they deliver is great. Kill Zone. Kill Zone. Kill Zone was great, I assume. I, I don't know. I just looked it up and apparently they made... J- John, they made four kill, four or five Kill Zones... A game called Rhino Rumble on the Game Boy Color and Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, well, they did a tremendous job on Horizon Zero Dawn, and I did play like Killzone 4. It was pretty okay. Killzone 3? Killzone 3. Did you ever play Rhino Rumble? I never played Rhino Rumble. How about Invader on the Game Boy Advance? Uh, never played Invader. A 2001 game called Tiny Toon Adventures? Oh, Tiny Toon Adventures? Ate that shit up. Dizzy's Candy Quest. Sorry, I didn't get to say the full the full name. Oh yeah, that Dizzy's Candy Quest. Hell yeah. No Dizzy, Dizzy, Dizzy Devil. Yeah, Disney Candy Quest. Yeah, loved it. <laughs> yeah, Gorilla Games. But I think that we we have stumbled into a place where there is more of like a unified artistic vision. Uh, in video well, games in the West right now, and, and we're benefiting from it. But there was a period of time when that was absolutely not the case. The, the thing is, is games games have not gotten any cheaper to produce. That they're more expensive now than ever. And so, kind of like movies, uh, the movie industry, it's like you have to really, really think hard, plan out hard what is going to be a good 
seller that's going to recoup that cost. And back when like Western developers were kind of first dipping their toes in the water, when they realized, oh, Xbox is popular, it's going to stick around. And any developer who wasn't EA, who wasn't, who's not going to just churn out another sports game on the cheap, they were like, obviously, we need a lot of money. And then they stopped. <laughs> they, they got a lot of money. They got a lot of big names. They threw them all together in a room. They developed like a concept and they ran with it. But now it's like you got to develop the concept and then also stick with that development all the way through to make sure that the game is good. Like uh, we're, CG, CD Projekt Red, have they've made like three games basically. And each one of their games takes years and years to make and each time they make a, a pretty good experience culminating in the witcher 3 which is like the most popular you know best-selling video game of all time and now they're taking seven years seven plus years to make their next game cyberpunk 2077 which is sure to be a big hit when it lands because they're, they're taking the time now whereas before it's like rush it out the door you know we don't have time to waste all this money ship dead space three out come on let's get it out let's make it you know multiplayer i don't fuck i don't care it's a horror game and adding a multiplayer aspect lessens the horror i don't care get it out the door and that's what i i respect about cd project red is every game they make is like logarithmically more successful than the last one like each one is powers of 10 more successful than the previous game was uh and i i think the the exact opposite of that, and speaking to your point of there was a long period of time where we said, oh, it's a video game, put multiplayer in it. I don't care. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Multiplayer is profitable. Look at Call of Duty. Look how profitable Call of Duty is. Just do that. Just do a Call of Duty in Dead Space. Mass Effect needs a multiplayer part component of their game, and it has to be good. Yeah, you have to make it so this... <laughs> okay. So I think the the logical or the illogical extension of that is something that happened a lot from the years of 2005 to 2012, uh, which I would like to describe as uh, the the fifth circle of hell, MMORPGs. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, they, ever since World of Warcraft came out, uh, what, 2004 World of Warcraft, maybe? I have no idea. I didn't start following Blizzard until Hearthstone came out. Uh, but once MMORPGs proved to be popular, studios with entirely too much money uh, spent so much money on MMORPGs uh, that typically uh, almost entirely were not very good. Uh, and I knew that there was a way that I would uh, find a way to talk about Star Wars in this episode. Uh, right. I knew I could find it. Uh, but if you look at like, there was like a, a somewhat pure time of MMORPGs. You know, you had your The Matrixes Online, which is a studio that had entirely too much money and delivered an infinitely strange thing. The Matrix Online, totally, totally offline now. Uh, but eventually it culminated into like this, what eventually proved the business practice unsustainable were these massive, unbelievably expensive MMORPGs that came out from like 2011 to 2012. Right. Uh, yeah. Like specifically DC universe online, which, uh, horribly bombed and cost tons of money. 
And then you have the biggest one, which I have been enjoying recently and talking to you a lot about, is uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, which is a video game made by Bioware. You know, the Mass Effect and Knights of the Old Republic people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, An MMORPG that I believe I was reading cost half a billion dollars to make. So when when The Old Republic was uh, announced and it was announced that Bioware was coming back to, to pick up the mantle where they left off with Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, a lot of people got excited because unlike a lot of these other MMORPGs that were made like DC universe online, they were made by companies we had never heard of. Mm-hmm. And, and like, it seemed like these companies formed to pitch and create the, these so-called like wow killers only to fade into obscurity, never to be heard from again. But Bioware was a known name. We knew who Bioware was. We knew the quality of their work ever since like Jade Empire all the way to Mass Effect 3 around the time that uh, they announced this project. And and so, yeah, a lot of people look forward to it. And then they ended up spending like half a billion dollars. But John's about to tell you what happened. It's the half a billion dollars I feel like comes from people who have the same approach to game development as the people who say, oh, Dead Space 3, put multiplayer in it. Mass Effect 3, multiplayer. Right, uh, just right. the people who, who make promises and demands without necessarily caring for or understanding uh, how difficult it is to implement those things. Because one of the earliest promises that was made about Star Wars The Old Republic is that it would be entirely, much like Mass Effect and Knights of the Old Republic, uh, of of which it was supposed to play similarly, it would be entirely voice acted. That promise was made without understanding that there would have to be thousands of hours of unique voice acting in the game. Right, like there's a lot of text in MMORPGs just because to try to voice act everything is absurd. Yeah, and there's like codex entries and stuff that's just text in the game, but I was... Playing it most recently, I'd played it maybe five years ago, uh, or whenever it first went free to play, uh, which just to let everybody know, it's pretty much entirely free to play. If you're okay with having to wait a little bit longer to get access to an ability that makes you move 35% faster, uh, the entirety of the story, which is the best part of that game, totally free. Uh, When I was playing through it, I was trying to choose a race, and I picked a race and a woman that was one class, and I heard the voice, and I was like, well, what if I want to play this other class? And I heard it, and I was like, wait, I think they chose a different voice actor to voice this other, not like a crazy alien race that like speaks in alien words, uh, but they hired multiple voice actors across the playable characters. All of the player characters' unique lines are multiple people, and Every single dialogue option has you speaking them and people responding uniquely. I shudder to think how much of that game's budget was just voice acting. And the problem they ran into is that Bioware made a game on the the second promise they made, the second problematic promise, is that it would be the first story-based 
MMORPG where your choices matter and you can live out the life cycle of a typical role-playing game in the Star Wars universe. A story that they said would rival the quality of a standalone RPG. And as much as people rightfully hate on Bioware for certain things, they absolutely did that. Uh, However, you can do that about 15 to 20 hours. You don't need to subscribe for multiple months at $15 a month to do that. And then there's not a lot of reason to keep playing. Oh, no. So they, they effectively made eight very compelling, really high-quality Star Wars stories, relatively short RPGs. And then later there's a lot of endgame stuff and PvP stuff, and they made expansions. But it wasn't enough to retain people. But somehow, it still exists. So they can't be doing anything that wrong, I guess. And expansions are still coming out, even though when I play, I see max two people. (laughs) I guess there's enough people pouring money into the game in some form or fashion to justify continued development. How many years after it released? Uh, Eight years. That's insane. I will say they might have done something very intelligent in that. Uh, So, I don't know. I don't want to sell their structure uh, because I, I don't know, uh, but you can be free to play, which is you can do everything. Uh, if you do certain expansions, you have to buy the expansions, uh, but you can just play them. You can stay free. Uh, however, if you subscribe your premium, which means you get a whole bunch of other perks. If you're anywhere in between though, you can just spend money to buy these things called cartel coins, uh, to purchase things in the game. Sure. Then you become a preferred player and get some perks And just from talking to some friends who also have recently started playing again due to quarantine and have spent like $120 on the game, I'm like, yeah, they might have stumbled into just the right uh, business strategy to keep the game afloat and be somewhat profitable. So it's kind of like a... No, I have no idea what that's like. That That's an interesting model. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything else like it. I will say that if anyone in quarantine uh, is looking for something to do, rather than exercising or eating right or doing something to boost your immune system or anything beneficial, I would recommend going back to an MMORPG that you used to play. Not World of Warcraft, because it's exempt from the experiment. Uh, but pick any MMORPG you used to play or any big multiplayer game you used to play and go live in those environments for a second because, number one, uh, it's extremely nostalgic and cool, and also it is an ethereal nightmare to see how empty they are. Oh, wow. So you're telling me to go back to Vindictus? Well, I have no idea what that is. It's... The only MMORPG that I ever played and also put money into. But I suppose I could also go back to Ragnarok Online, although I'm pretty sure that's going to be dead regardless. Wait, was Vindictus the... Was that the like cool anime combo system game? That was the cool anime combo system game. I believe it came out of Korea. And you start by fighting a giant spider? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the, I, I would say go back to Invictus. I would also say, in a lot of ways, Old Republic is a lot like Invictus. Uh, because it's like a, at least from what I experience of Invictus, it's like a fairly linear story. Uh, yeah, but, it just go to one quest to the next quest. But uh, the the combat was real fun because you, you could do different moves. I think one thing that uh, we we might eventually start examining as a people is the phenomenon of architecture as it exists in virtual spaces, uh, because it, it there's a lot of like really interesting like human desire pathing that goes into creating architecture and spaces for people to inhabit virtually. And going back to an old multiplayer game that you used to play, uh, when these things are tuned, like in the example of the Old Republic, for hundreds of people to be there at once, to give you a sense that, yes, this is a large area, despite the fact that there are a ton of people running around, when you are the only person there, it's like... I don't want to throw this word around a lot, but it's almost like Lovecraftian. Like the the scope of the world that you are in is so unbelievably huge. Everything in the Old Republic is like a colossus and there's no one there. It's it's a very uh, singular feeling. So if you want to feel uh, existential terror at a video game, go back to old MMORPGs you used to play. Or get a private server for World of, for World of Warcraft and play it alone. <laughs> yeah, so if you've got like, you know, the late afternoon or uh, early evening free and you want to experience an existential crisis, go back to an old MMO you used to play and experience what it's like to discover the the remnants of a civilization that's that's bygone yeah and it really helps if it's something that's based on a franchise that you really love obviously i love star wars but you can go back to the matrix online which unfortunately has shut down but i did see there are private servers for uh you can also maybe go to back to star trek online or dc universe online really whatever floats your boat I think DC Online Universe Online might still be a thing. I mean, maybe. That would be an interesting thing to do. To do like a to do like a business pitch on the podcast. Like a a series of streams of MMORPGs that either no longer exist or barely have a player base. Because it's something that took up a significant portion of people's time and occupies like a lot of their brain, but they just don't see or interact with anymore because they can't. Like if someone like hopped on a hopped on a private server for the Matrix Online or something, it would be a it would be an interesting like virtual anthropological experiment. DC Universe Online. Available on Nintendo Switch, Hold PC, on, what? PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. As of 10 hours ago, they just tweeted another thing. It, DC Universe Online, the MMORPG, is 100% still alive. Oh my god, is it free to play? I don't know. Oh lord. Well now I have to play DC Universe Online. I guess you do. Uh, they had a bonus currency week. Oh, it's coming! It's coming up, July sixth. It's right now, July sixteenth. 
through July 22nd. You can get some bonus currency with new rewards. Lex oh coins God. are doubled. We've got to download within the next three hours to get these we double get coins. Some, we got to get some Lex coins, John. We got to get some Lex coins. I was very sold on the idea of MMORPGs, and I played, I'm going to say most of them for a long period of time. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Dot Hack, the anime, mm. uh, which very strongly, I loved, yeah. very strongly impressed upon me the power of the MMORPG. I thought it was the future. Uh, I, I love Dot Hack Sign. I feel like Sign was better than the original. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, wait, was there an original Dot Hack anime or was it just Sign was the anime? I don't remember. The Dot Sign Hack was- games, not good. Dot Hack Sign was the one with the guy who got stuck in the in the uh, the MMO. Yeah, I think because there was eventually Dot Hack GU. I don't know, uh, but I was very sold on the idea of MMORPGs, and I feel like there's like a pretty significant portion of the population whose memories exist in video games that don't or can't exist anymore, like uh, Final Fantasy XI. Oh, that that's was just a- gone. It was a huge, like, massive video game that so many people sunk so much time into and was a a huge artistic achievement, but it just doesn't exist anymore. For for what it's worth, which is not a lot, um, I've heard really good things about Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, I played it for about two weeks. It's really good. That's my thing with MMORPGs. Now that I'm, like, a person, I can't play them for very long. Yeah, for, like... A few months in grad school, I played Terra online uh, with a friend, and it was just me and him, just like go- going through, just like the the basic game, just like leveling up by killing mobs and stuff, and and doing like story quests. But after a couple of months, like we logged on to play, and then we just had this moment where we realized we weren't having fun anymore. Oh no! And so we we switched to playing something else. I think that, I don't know, I, I wonder, because there must also be people like me who have hundreds of hours of their lives locked within the the liminal state of the relationships and the time that they spent within massively multiplayer online games. Those yeah, people I, must exist. I'm sure they exist, and I'm sure, I'm sure... There are a lot of people who luck out because they, you know, they did that through WoW, and so they can just go back anytime they want to and experience kind of the same thing with a huge population because WoW is still going pretty strong. But the, like, there are so many others like like you and I, like I, you know, I'm I maybe Ragnarok Online is still out there, but it's probably nothing like I remember it. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like I was the recipient of worlds that couldn't continue to exist because initially I was an Ultima online person. I was really into the Ultima games. Ultima online was like amazing. Perfect. I think the first MMORPG that wasn't a mud Uh, and then got really into Ragnarok online, eventually got into like a series of Korean MMORPGs. I did City of Heroes for a long time. I largely bounced off of World of Warcraft. So all of these worlds I've inhabited, relationships I've had, friendships uh, that have like crumbled into dust, meaningful, large parts of my life that just don't 
exist because they were they were part of a an ongoing media offering that just wasn't profitable anymore. Yeah. No, I so like what you're describing, I experienced very hard through Neopets. Do you remember Neopets? Oh, of course I remember Neopets. Yeah. But I had like a, you know, a distinguished account and I made, you know, good friends through that account and we would talk off the site a lot because they moderated a lot of the site and communications because, you know, it was for kids and stuff. And then uh, one day I tried to log in and, and I was banned. Oh, and no. That, what happened? That entire life was just sort of gone. Oh, no. And it's did you like, hack? I did not hack. Um, I, I was banned for some sort of communication thing, like some... Uh, violation of the of the the policy like maybe they had found out like we were talking off the site or something which wasn't you couldn't do jesus um, i know it was really <laughs> that like neopets went through some really really strict times and then the site quickly died because if your fan base can't talk to each other there's no way to keep it going but yeah and it, it, it was kind of like since i was out all of my friends who were still playing the game i just couldn't I couldn't connect to that world much anymore, and I didn't feel like restarting, starting from scratch or whatever. So I just moved on with my life, and and that that was that. That was it. <laughs> that part of me, part of me, sort of like died in a sense. I feel like we don't have a place in our language and a place in our culture to talk about that. Because well, like, yeah, I, I feel like the closest like analog to it is something like a pen pal or something like a relationship that you have outside of like normal physical interactions with people, but yeah. for a, a very significant portion of the population, uh, a population that will be a, a larger and larger percentage of the population as people die off. Like a lot of our adolescent relationships, possibly the majority of our adolescent relationships were created in virtual spaces, which we do not study, which we do not preserve, and which we do not or did not document. So who who will hold on to our Neopets when Neopets <laughs> is gone? Who will remember what our character in the Matrix Online looked like when everyone crumpled up into a big ball when the Matrix Online shut down? <laughs> like, yeah, it all just imploded in on itself like a big ball. I feel like something that we have to, as as this generation, deal with is the fact that the media that we consume is very expendable and can, for the most part, disappear into nothing. Uh, and that's the reason why, like, uh, movie and, and video game, like, curatorship is so important, archival of the things that we enjoy, which is why, like... ROMs and ISOs and emulators are so important because these these virtual spaces that we're asked to spend more and more of our time in can just disappear. And what do we do with that? I don't think any other generation has had to deal with, oh, I lived in a virtual world for four and a half months. I met some of my best friends. I explored like parts of myself. I grew alongside this thing and then it was gone. <laughs> So many times in this podcast, I, I kind of feel like maybe one of the uh, the light motifs of this podcast is the idea that perception is reality, and uh, if 
your world is shaped by the things you do, then the things that all of the things that you did virtually count for you as a person. You are building yourself. You are learning about yourself. You are growing close to these online people through these mediums that can just vanish. But for the larger part of the world, for most of our growing up, it was seen as like this weird niche hobby. The, mm-hmm. Like it was, it's video games are still struggling to become a part of culture, even with how popular they are today. They struggle to get into the mainstream. And, and it's still to this day that you see like conversations or weird things and like romance advice columns that I read online. It's like my, my significant other plays video games too much. Isn't it time that he or she grew up and grew out of that? It's seen as like a, a childish toy. And, and until video games at large by a majority of people take it as seriously as any other like cultural force like movies or books or television shows, we're not going to get that study. We're not going to get that attention on this crucial part of development in our lives because for the world at large, it doesn't matter. But luckily, in anime, it's a huge topic because I feel like a lot of people who end up becoming like manga artists or or anime writers, they grew up in the same environments the same way. And that's why you've got Dot Hack Sign and and for to a lesser ex- extent Sword Art Online and all of those spinoffs. Um, so I, I think you can sort of see it reflected in those sort of mediums these ideas of like virtual spaces disappearing overnight and losing contact with friends and, and, and parts of yourself. But it's just this weird, unique experience that, that we lived and that we can talk about. But I don't think the world at large is going to care anytime soon. It's, it's such a, it's such a strange thing to say that, Companies have spent, just in the case of, like, Star Wars, The Old Republic, half a billion dollars on something. Like, people spent sleepless nights creating this thing. It is a tremendous work of of art and discipline over a long period of time that meant a lot to a lot of people. And yes, it still operates, but, like, there's no study of it. Like right. even even a movie that comes out that had like a ten million dollar budget that wasn't good, uh, and kind of wears its anthropological importance on its sleeve has more like active presence in culture than a video game that cost half a billion dollars to make. It's just it's a it's an odd blind spot that we have. Yeah. I mean, Red, Red, Red Dead Redemption 2 made more money than any media entertainment ever. It, it, it Red Dead Redemption 2 broke every record for how much money it made across every medium. And, and yet, it still isn't a huge topic of discussion other than that footnote. Like in the grand scheme of things, like yes, the 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 financial world took note 
because, you know, they saw an investment opportunity. So they talked about it and maybe the tech world talked about it. And of course the video game industry talked about it. And, and that includes the people that play video games. But beyond that, the property that has made the most money ever has not been talked about that much. I mean, I feel like the only thing we can say is if if a recurring leitmotif of this podcast is that perception is reality, if we look back to the relationships that we and people like us and millions of people amongst our general generational cohorts have experienced of building relationships in chat rooms, in message boards, in video games, in uh, like MUDs. Uh, I, I think that the question is, where were you when you were building those relationships? Where were you during that formative part of your life? And the answer is you were there. You were there in a place that a lot of people created uh, out of love and out of necessity to create a product for you. And we have not and maybe never will, uh, created a space in culture to preserve, respect, and understand those spaces. It's scary, in a way, to think that one day Neopets will no longer exist, that these things will be gone. Uh, And people need to study that. People need to think about it. I think it's important. Uh, I don't think it's important, like, you know, what quest you got from a fucking elf or whatever. Uh, but but studying those as a part of our history, as as a part of the history of like the at this point, the the largest, most technologically literate generation in history, uh, it warrants further examination. Yeah, and for now at least we can kind of take solace in the fact that at least in human interest stories, some of these things will live on. Like for every couple who met in a guild and ended up getting married in real life uh, and got their story told in like a local newspaper, like some type of entertainment magazine, they're going to live on through that. But I, I, I guess it, it comes down to us who have lived these, these tales and lived in these worlds and, shaped these realities to carry on our stories and ourselves and maybe, you know, share it with others, maybe write about it, maybe find a way to get people to take notice, maybe uh, ready player one it and make a sequel called ready player two and somehow don't shoot ourselves in the head. I don't know how he does it. I honestly don't understand how he pitched this, the sequel name ready player two and lived with himself and also, why is he doing a sequel? And also, maybe we need better representation than that fucking book. Uh, hard agree. Uh, everyone should go out and write Ready Player One. Yeah, everyone should go out and write a good Ready Player One that doesn't just spout pop culture references from the 80s and tie it into video games and then also have no substance about what it's like to be a video game player. Like, it's just pure nostalgic crap fuel fire for the sake of pure nostalgic crap you fuel fire. Like, ugh. Uh, I got off track, but for everyone who's grown up on video games and in these, these, these internet spaces, 
it, it, the only people who care are, I guess, other people who live through that. And as we become the majority, as time passes, maybe we start talking about it more. I don't know. I can only hope so. So if you have like, a, I don't know, some time in the uh, late afternoon or some spare time in the early evening, start reflecting on your 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 uh, your virtual past, the, the, the things, the places you've seen, the places you've been, the, the Vindictuses and the Ragnarok Onlines and the, the old republics that you lived in, the stories that you told, the people that you met and, and the... Uh, that little text box that gets broadcast to everybody on the server and uh, reflect on that. And yeah, I don't know, share it with somebody. Yeah. Do not, uh, do not go gentle into that dark night of your servers eventually being shut down. Uh, dark night, DC universe online. Are there meat on those bones? Not really. I was going to say, yeah, why not sign up for DC universe online and, I don't know. See what that's about. I guess who kn- who knows. Yeah, get those double brainiac bucks. Gotta get gotta get du- it's for this week. By the time this podcast episode is out, you might have one day left to get those those Lex coins. Triple Mister Mister Mitzelplick money. It's funny, John, but uh, that is the second time this week that somebody has mentioned Mister Mitzelplex to me. And uh, I'm starting to think maybe <laughs> the universe is working at something larger. Oh, uh, your universe is controlled by Mr. Mitzelplek. I would honestly accept that. If a little weird paradimensional imp actually controlled everything with godlike powers, I would take that more than like the, you know, Christianity's depiction of an, of an all-loving, all-powerful god who still allows evil in the world. Uh, a, a weird chaos imp who just thrives off of the powers that he has makes more sense in a way. Uh, I would like, I would invite you to uh, join my religion of chaos impism. <laughs> we believe a, 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 an imp just decides, yeah, volcano explodes today, wipes out Pompeii. We uh, we meet every Sunday to cower, and uh, that's pretty much it. It's so one of the, okay. This is we're I'm getting into the weeds, and this might lead into the end of the episode. But one of the weird existential things about Star Trek: The Next Generation is that Q exists. I have uh, I I a hundred percent know what you mean. Uh, the fact that Q exists and is not the biggest deal. Right, right. Like, he just pops in, they're like, oh, Q's running amok again. It's like, you realize he's changing your reality, right? Like, he's affecting your very person and, and everything that you do. It's not just little bits he's doing. Like, he's he's more powerful than anything you've ever met. And he's got, like, an older father who is even more powerful than him. I my two thoughts on Q are number one. Uh, I was rewatching Next Generation, did not get very far, and I looked at a skip list because you gotta. Uh, and the skip list skipped every Q episode, which is insane to me because number no, one, but... the Q episodes are hilarious, but also Q is important. I was about to say Q is the driving force of Next Generation. It, it, it's all 
it's all a test to see if humanity is worth saving or not, or if humanity is is good enough to keep existing. That that's how I always interpreted the next generation. But the skipless also skipped holodeck episodes. So what were they really what? getting at? Uh, what were they covering? <laughs> I have no idea. It's like it's like a, a Naruto skipless that that skips every episode. That's not full of that only. Wait, no. It's like a Naruto skip list that is only the episodes full of flashbacks. Yes, exactly. Naruto uh, is full of flashbacks and I hate it and I can't watch it because it's full of flashbacks. Never seen Naruto, Naruto, Naruto podcast coming soon. Uh, the second thing uh, is how come the first time Q shows up that every subsequent episode is not every character having an existential crisis <laughs> about the existence of Q? I, I guess, you know, okay, so it's a post, it, post-scarcity post universe, right, it, or world. You know, they, they've evolved beyond money. But what they don't tell you is they also have evolved around uh, uh, evolved beyond existential crises where they just accept that any minute Q could blink them out of existence on a whim. And so they just don't, they're not afraid of it. They just welcome them, welcome it and accept it. I think that works for me. And then, you know, people can make uh, sci-fi people can make any argument like, well, Q makes them conveniently forget about Q every time he leaves. And then they only remember Q when he comes back. Blah. I don't know. Something is frightening about, the, the, a guy with the powers of that kid from that episode of the of the Twilight Zone where he can send people to the cornfield. I, I feel like you, in Roddenberry's, you know, future, the Twilight Zone probably still exists. And so they've, they've seen that episode. It's part of Starfleet training. And then they, they meet a guy with the same powers and they don't shit their pants. Seems suspect. Probably not realistic. They're like, oh, this is Corn Kid, but Q's like Hyper Corn Kid. H. Hell yeah. C K. H C K. H. C K. All right. And uh, I feel like maybe instead of preparing two things to talk about in the future, John, I might just prepare one thing. And if you just prepare one thing then I think we'll be good because I've got another thing to talk about, but I feel like this is a good moment in time to just walk away. Yeah. We can save it till next week. Leftovers, baby. Oh, I don't know if it's going to be relevant next week. The leftovers. Oh, that show on HBO that I didn't watch. Yeah. This is in fact a good place to end the episode though. And we went nerdy with it. Yeah, no, like, I don't normally consider myself that much of a nerd, but we talked about drugs, we talked about video games, and we talked about Next Gen, the the, the, the cornerstones of nerditude. Nerds love drugs. The tiny aliens in Space Jam are called Nerd Lux, and since you are editing the episode, why do we do this on every episode where we? Y- you don't have to say it out loud. We covered it before we started recording. Okay, you're editing the episode, which means you do the social media. 
That's not how it works, but I'll do it if you want me to. No, I'll do it. If you want to send us a tweet, if you want to tweet like a bird, if you want to send us your... Oh, I didn't even talk about fucking Space Jam, so my whole fucking bit that I prepared for the social media isn't going to make any goddamn sense. But Do it anyway. You, do, do it anyway. If you want to lace up your Nikes, put on your Hanes, drink your Gatorade, eat your Wheaties, and grab a Big Mac on the way, you can send us a tweet at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com, which stands for Henry. Zace Cam Pace Cam Wace Ham Jace. That's right. And if you want to send us your favorite script for the movie Space Jam about who your favorite character is, my favorite character is Bill Murray, played by himself he makes a weird race joke in the first 30 minutes of that movie uh you can send us an email at zero uh, it's so weird to say the app before you can send us an email to email at zero credits.net we are on spotify search for zero credit open parentheses s close parentheses on spotify.com in the podcast section uh didn't really have a space jam thing prepared for that one uh we are on apple Podcasts. you can find us by searching for zero credits on the apple podcasts store store uh, uh, store uh, however rating us on the apple podcast section is the one of the best ways for people to find out about the podcast so leave us a rating leave us a comment and share with all your friends how ever much like when the Looney Tunes challenged the nerd lux from Moron Mountain to a game of basketball because they were short. However, the nerd lux stole the power of several uh, important basketball players in the 1995 to 1996 season, including Patrick Ewing, uh, Muggsy Bogues, and Charles Barkley. How did I start that again? If you want to help us, like the Looney Tunes who challenged aforementioned Nerdlux, who stole the powers of Charlie Bar- Charles Barkley, of uh, Muggsy Bose, Patrick Ewing, among others, in the same way that Michael Jordan helped them. Uh, however, he wasn't initially much help, but it's okay. If you want to help us, if you want to be like Mike, if you want to fly like an eagle, then. Word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. Uh, tell your friends. Tell uh, Charles Barkley. Tell Muggsy Bogues. Um, tell uh, anyone who thinks it's really hilarious that there's a montage of them trying to get their basketball powers back. But Charles Barkley doesn't believe in modern medicine, so he tries to get his basketball skills back on the court and by praying to God. Uh, where does it go with that? Tell your friends. Tell your friends about the podcast because that's the best way for them to know. And from everyone here at the Zero Credits to Apartment Studio Studios, we would just like to remind everyone that Space Jam 2 was announced, and I stress this, a while ago. And it was supposedly supposed to start uh, LeBron James, and uh, we've heard nothing about that since so what's what's up with that? What what's up with that? What is up with that? 
And also have a very happy week. Bye. Goodbye. Come on and jam. And welcome to welcome the jam. To the slam. Come on and jam. It's a if slam. If you want to jam, jam. Come on and get up. It's a space jam. Everybody's jamming in the space jam. All right, 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 right. Quad, wait, uh, DJ, turn it up. QCD, gonna burn it up. Everybody, rock your body? I don't know. Jam, jam, jam. Can't cancel me. The podcast is already over.